Amen. I've never been more excited about this church and what God's doing here. I've never been more, I guess I'm the only one. <laughs> I've never been more excited about next year and where it's going. And what I'm just, God has, God's up to something. He is up to something. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I want to pray together. We always do this before the start of a, of a message. But especially for this because I'm not adequate to do this anyway. But God has gifted me with an ability to explain and, and break things apart. And, 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 and I've developed that over the years. But what God wants to do this morning, that doesn't work. It's not something I can break down for you. It's, not some, it's something you have to taste. It can only be done by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible uses our senses both physically but spiritually. It talks about taste and see that the Lord is good. That's not with your tongue. That's with your heart. And it talks about opening the eyes of our understanding that we would see. And it's not with these physical eyes, but with these eyes in here. And that's what, the, what my prayer this morning, because there's something that God wants you to see, but not with these eyes. He wants you to see with the eyes of your spirit. And, and, and I don't even begin to imagine that we're gonna be, we can't possibly see the whole thing. But to see enough, to get enough of a glimpse to motivate us. Because we're coming... We're, 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 we're coming to the end of this series about follow me. We're not, we're not going to stop following him, but the end of what we're talking about. And we've come through some difficult things we've heard about, about taking up our cross, about denying ourselves. It's interesting, though, as I was standing up and come over here, I really felt the Lord remind me in my own life. When I've hit times of discouragement or times of frustration with myself or situations, what's always brought me back to it is when I come back to the commitment to deny myself and take up my cross and follow Him. And the moment I bring my heart back to that commitment, all that other stuff just evaporates because I've connected myself back to Jesus. And we get distracted from following Him, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today. So I want to join with me because there's something the Spirit doesn't want to say to you, it wants to show you. It wants to touch your heart with the possibility of something to whet your spiritual appetite. So let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for all that you're doing in our midst. We thank you for this in this season. Lord, we celebrate and remember the tremendous gift of love that you demonstrated for us and you continue to demonstrate for us every day as you remind us that you are literally being born into our hearts and into our lives. But I believe with all my heart that you are calling us You are calling us to another level of our walk with you, both individually and collectively together as a church. And to do that, we have to see things. Isaiah, in order to do what you called him to do, you had to bring him up into heaven, and he had to see the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Paul, the apostle, had to see, experience Jesus, the risen Christ, to be changed. And we need to see and experience that same risen Christ how real He is, how glorious He is, how wonderful He is, how He satisfies every possible desire and need of our hungry hearts, and how He is what the world needs today. Father, I can't do that with any ability that I have. I can't do that with the mind You've given me. I can't do that with the tongue You've given me. 
It can only be by the living Spirit of God to take these words and the scriptures that you put in my heart and breathe on them as he breathed it into our hearts. So I'm asking you from the depths of my heart to open the eyes of our understanding today that we would truly see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. And for that we give you thanks in advance. Amen. And amen. We've been talking about the very simple thing that Jesus has called us to do. We complicate it with all kinds of ideas and calls to ministry and serving Him. And, but there really comes down to one simple thing. Jesus personally called each of His disciples. And the very simple thing He called them to do is, You, come, follow Me. And you and I are here today because just as he called Matthew and Mark, just as he called Luke and John and, 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 and Peter and James, and just as he called all the twelve and then all the seventy, he's also, you're here today because he has called you to follow him. And that's it. It's that simple. And if we'll follow him, he'll take us where you need to go. He'll get you through what you need to get through and over what you need to get over. But if you stop following Him, if you get distracted, those things will begin to pull your life aside. And so I always know where to go when I get distracted. I've stopped looking at Him and following Him. So we've talked about what it means because He went on to explain in John, in Matthew 16, 24, that to do that, you've got to take up, you've got to deny yourself. We've talked about what that means. You've got to take up your cross, and that's what we've been talking about, and then you can follow Him. And we've looked at what it means to take up our cross. Notice it says our cross. That means we don't have to take up His cross. There's a cross that's assigned to each one of us, and it may be more than one, and it's not your spouse, and it's not your kids. It could be persecution. And then we've looked at it. It has to do with relationships we have with one another. Forgiveness is a cross we have to bear because it's taking on their guilt. It's taking on what they've done wrong to me. And I'm going to free you from what you did to me and I'll bear the pain of it. And when we do that, it furthers our walk with Him because that's what He's done. He's borne the pain and the punishment for what you and I have done wrong. He took it upon Himself out of love. And we talked about other aspects of it. I'm not going to go back over that. But... We need to know what we get on the other side. Why do we do that? Why would these men, successful businessmen, fishermen, some of them were other, they had other professions. These were not spiritually elite people. These were not sensitive people. They were not, they were not called out of a, out of a, out of a college or an educational institution. These were rough people. I'm sure their language was coarse, their manners were coarse. What would cause them to leave everything at one, two words, three words, come follow me, and follow him? Why? There must have been something about him that they could see because they were physically with him that's more difficult for you and I to see. So we're going to begin to look at this morning. I'm hoping to get through this, but we may not. I don't want to rush it. What is it that's on the other side of the cross? What do we get out of this? Why would we do that? What mo- and I know religiously we're supposed to, but come on, what motivates us is when we know why. And the Bible is full of motivations. 
So why would we do this? Why would, what would we do this? Why would we be so motivated to do this? Well, in order to see what God wants us to see, we've got to understand a foundational principle. First of all, I keep going back to this. As we've taught about persecution, as we've talked about, about forgiveness in relationships, about, about um, governing our lives by loving others and what's best for them, as we've, as we've talked about loving the world and the unlovable, we've always come back to each one of those is simply something we do as a result of following Him because that's what He did. As I exercised in the very beginning, I brought Danny, Danny up on the stage, the simple example of following me, following is Denny walked around and wherever I went, he went. So whatever I would get into, he would have gotten into. Well, all the things we've talked about, all they are is a consequence, a result of just following Jesus. And if we forget that, then we begin to focus on the steps and what's involved with those. And then when we begin to get to some of the harder things like deny myself and take up my cross and follow him we begin to look at the cost and not who it is we're following. The cost and not who it is we're following. So when we look at each step, if, we're, if we take our eyes off of Jesus, we start looking. In fact, I'm going to do that, Danny. Would you come up here? And we're going to reverse it this time. You're, now you're Jesus. You got promoted. You've gone from pastor to Jesus. All right. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I've got to tell you because I've got to tell you where you're, where you're going. This is what's different. We're, I'm going to follow you around, and then you're going to go up the steps, walk around, and you're going to come down a little bit, okay? And I'm going to stop in the middle to give an example of something. So I'm following Jenny. To do that, I've got to walk. I've got to keep my eyes on him. This is easy. I'm taking I just got saved. I'm following Denny. And now, whoa, we just came to a step. Well, keep going. I don't know if this is safe and secure, Oh my goodness, this is, da- you know, this is a big step up here. I don't know. What's happened? You can stop now. I've taken my horse off Denny, and I'm starting to look at the step I've got to take. And the minute I look at the step I've got to take, I'm deciding whether or not that's easy for me to do or hard for me, or it's dangerous. Because if it's dangerous, I may not want to do that, or I've got to spend some time. But while I've done that, I've stopped following him. Now come back down. Let's do that again. Here's what we're called to do. See, if I trust Him, I do. If I trust Him, if I trust Jesus, He's not going to take me somewhere that I'm going to fall. In fact, it's more dangerous to be looking out for myself than to be following Him. So let's do it again. I'm sticking close to you. Now see, thank you. That's good enough. That's good. I'll follow you down too because that's sometimes more difficult. <laughs> I'm going to stop following you here. <clears throat> see, when I'm just watching him and following him, I'm not even looking at the steps. I'm not even looking at the steps. Paul gives his secret. We're going to take a look at him a little later on. See, when I consider the cost, when I consider what this may cost me, I take my eyes off of Jesus and I start looking at myself. And Satan's very good at telling you, this is going to cost you too much. What's this going to mean in your life? And the moment we start thinking in those terms, we stop thinking about Jesus and we've stopped trusting Him. 
Paul said in Philippians 4 that he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Paul had to do amazing... You know, we think sometimes of Paul as this superhuman being. The mighty Paul could... could, Because he accomplished major things. He he helped bring the gospel to much of the known world at that time, at least the Mediterranean world. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, most of which he wrote in jail persecuted, beaten. If you read Second uh, Corinthians 11, he talks about the things he went through. When you think you're having a tough day, just read what Paul went through. And he writes, none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear. That's written in Acts chapter 20 when Paul is saying goodbye to the church at Ephesus and he knows ahead of time what's going to happen to him. He said, I don't know the details, but I know the Spirit keeps witnessing with me that I, when I get back, to, I have to go back to Jerusalem, being compelled by the Spirit to go back to Jerusalem, and I know that chains await me there. And he looked back on all he'd been through, he says, but none of these things move me. The question we need to ask is, how easily do things move us? Well, I've had a rough week, I'm not sure I need to, can get to church today. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But there are other things. Well, I'm, I'm too tired to read my Bible tonight or today. I just, you know, I'm too tired. So many things that come up in our lives to pull us away from keeping our eyes on Him. But Paul gives a secret. None of these things move me, nor do I consider my life as mine, as any value. So Paul says, I can do all things, not in myself, but through Christ who strengthens me. Now, here's the interesting thing. He's not saying, I can do all things because Christ strengthens me. Because what that means, I would go to Jesus and He would give me the strength that I need for that day. Remember we learned in the beginning, when you come to Christ, you're joined to Him. You're now one with Him. So whatever He is, you are. And whatever you are, He is. That will govern your behavior. You are joined to Him. He's alive in you by the Holy Spirit. You're one-third God. Now, not... You're not sitting on a throne, but you have His... You're His child. You have His nature. The fruit of the Spirit. And you have His ability that's on the inside of you. You have His strength on the inside of you. So it's not that Paul said, I can do all things because Christ gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ because I'm in Christ. So his union with Christ gave him the strength. It was from Christ, from being in him and following him. Everything you need comes from him. We sang that today. It was wonderful because you're in him. So don't take your eyes off of him. And don't start looking at yourself. Well, we'll find out how much better that is than you think it is. Okay. Now, a great example of that is, is these athletes that train for the Olympics. I've seen some of the... Nowadays, what they'll do is they, they'll, they'll do a special about them. And, and they'll, they'll you know, send a cameraman and a crew out to watch how they're preparing. And, and especially some of these athletes that are in the Winter Olympics, these skaters, where you just can't... You've got to get up early in the morning... I mean like four in the morning to go out and give time in the rink that you need to do that. What would cause somebody to just get up at four in the morning, first of all? 
But not just that, to go out on a cold winter night, still early morning, to go ice skating on frozen... Well, ice is frozen water, okay. <laughs> on frozen ice, best kind to skate on. What would, what would, and not just once or twice, every day. They're paying a cost. But what motivates them is they're not looking at the ice. They're not looking at the cost. They're not getting on the oh, I've got to get up again this morning. They're looking past that to a little metal. Hopefully it's going to be gold. It could be silver. But at the very least, I'd like it to be bronze. And then Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, they run a race for just a little laurel wreath that they were given. How much more are we running a race for an eternal glory that's to be given to us? But the point is here, they don't look at the cost, because if they looked at it, they'd get discouraged. They say, well, this is, I don't know if it's, you know, by the way, they're not the only one training for the medal. All over the world, there are other people training for the same medal, and only one of them is going to get it. Paul says that. But they do it with a commitment and dedication. Why? Because their eyes are on the prize, and when their eyes are on the prize, they're not even counting the cost. They don't notice the cost. They don't notice the cost. I've had um, people sometimes come up to me when they find out that I was a lawyer in a large firm in Boston for a number many years. And I walked out of that, I left everything. My home, my family I went with me, but I left family that never understood what I was doing. I had a, I don't want to get into that. I, I, it cost me some relations with close family. And uh, I never looked back. And I've had people say, do, do you know, how could you do that? Well, you gave up so much. I thought it's never entered my mind. It's never entered my mind what I gave up. Because I didn't give it up. I chose to follow Jesus. So I don't count the cost. I never look back. Oh, how much money I could have been making. Oh, and I never, that thought doesn't begin to enter my mind. But you know, you do that all the time when you go shopping. Because when you go shopping, you, you make a decision to tra- exchange something. You're going to exchange money. It's mostly naturally now plastic or you know, your watch on something or, you know, well, but you're basically, you're going to give money up in exchange for what you're going to, going to buy. And nowadays with, you know, online buying, you buy things without actually seeing them. I had, uh, my toothbrush died, so I, I had to buy another electric toothbrush because the dentist wants me to use an electric toothbrush. So I decided to buy one based on price and not on reputation. And when I got it, it looked nice. Now, this is, I, I've actually adjusted myself in this. But have you ever bought something, and when you put it on, or you drive it, or you use it to brush your teeth, or whatever it is, you realize, I made a mistake. And now what begins to eat at you is what you paid for it. I wasted this money for this thing. You made an exchange, and when you got the thing you exchanged for, you realized what you got was not worth what you paid for it. And as a result, 
you regret that you don't have that money anymore because now you've got this thing and it's not worth what the money was. And as a result, all you keep thinking about is what it cost. And he begins, if you keep doing it, it starts eating at you. I paid this kind of money. What could I have done with that money? And the cost becomes more real to you than what you exchanged for it. Now, the other side of that is a bargain. You know, you go to a store and, you, you know, you just, you, you, you made an exchange and you're, you're convinced you got the better end of the deal. And what, do you, what happens now? You're so proud of what you got that you brag about what it costs. Because I got a bargain. And the only difference is how you value what you got in exchange for what you paid. You value, if you value more what you got than what you paid, you don't care what you paid. But if you value less what you got than what you paid, you regret it and you're still holding on to what it costs. What it costs. The same is true in our walk with the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Because you see, when you see the value of what you've gotten and that it's an infinite bargain, you never even think about the cost. So let's look at, we're going to look at some various aspects of this. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll see where this title comes from. Now, Hebrews trap, this is, I'm going to give you, you're going to get a special revelation this morning that you would not get any other, way, any other place. Hebrews chapter 12 immediately follows Hebrews chapter 11. Now, that's not in the notes I published, but that's worth, that's worth writing down. Hebrews 11 is where the hall of fame of faith, people that have followed Christ by faith, followed God by faith. And I say that because the first word of Hebrews chapter 12 is, Therefore, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all the body of Christ that's going on before us. Let us therefore, now he's talking to us, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. Now I've always looked at that verse and I do believe it's referring to, to sins in your life and habits in your life, but I never saw it in a light until I was meditating on this yesterday. Because notice what he says, let us lay aside those and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. But what are we learning? That race is nothing other than simply following Jesus, wherever that may be. And so there are things in our life, weights and sins that easily ensnare us and slow us down from following Him. And one of those is the cost that we look at and we value. The cost. What's it going to cost me to follow Him? To follow Him, that means I've got to forgive that relative of mine. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know how, you, do, you, do, you, do you know? No, we don't. And we don't need to. And so when I make the decision, well, to follow Him, I've got to forgive them. I'm laying aside a weight because that unforgiveness, that pride, those are weights that slow us down in our walk to follow Him, in our race to follow Him. And how do we do that? Let us run with endurance the race that's set before. Now, verse 2 tells us how, and it uses Jesus as an example. 
looking unto Jesus. That's what I just did with Denny. Looking unto... What are we supposed In order to follow Him, you've got to keep looking at Him. You've got to keep your eyes on Him. Your focus on Him. We'll talk later on about how to do that. But you've got to see, first of all, how you do this. is setting our eyes on Jesus, who's the author of our faith. The faith by which you were saved came from Him. The author of our faith. And for the joy set before Him, He enjoyed the cross. No, it didn't say enjoyed it. He endured it. How did Jesus go through what He went through? What motivated Him? We're learning what motivates us to go through this process of denying ourselves, taking up our cross. and Why would we do that? We're looking at what would motivate us to do it. So we're looking at what motivated Jesus. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, there's got to be a similar motivation. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despising same shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what motivated Him was a joy that was set before Him. A joy that was set before Him. What was that joy? Well, I believe there are different aspects. Of it. One that clearly is, you and I are that joy. He saw through the cross to see you and me. Now that's almost foreign to our thinking. How could I get such joy from, to go to a cross for such miserable people as we were? Oh, come on, we were miserable people. You may have had a pleasant disposition, but in God's sight, we're proud, we're self-willed, self-reliant, stubborn, stiff-necked, and a whole bunch of other things. And He's pure and holy and glorious and magnificent and all-powerful and all-holy and nothing at all unholy. The slightest speck of unholiness in His presence burns up in an instant. Not because He's angry. You can't have light and darkness dwell together. So for the joy set before Him, and that joy was the joy of... Imagine this. He's the only begotten Son of God. He's the Father's favorite. And He was willing to come, set all of that aside and take on the sin and rebellion and pride and all the fruit that came out of that of all of our lives and of all the world to take it all on Himself, bear what we deserved so He could bring us to be, one of, to be a son with Him, a daughter, a child with Him. He gave up everything so we could have what He had. And that was the joy set before Him. But I believe there was a personal joy also We'll just quickly look at this. So the first seeing us set free in eternity with Him and sharing His Sonship with us, with the Father. John 17, 4. This is as He's preparing to go back, preparing to go to the cross and go back to the Father. He gives us a little personal insight into Himself. John 17, 4. He's, this, is, this, is, this is the Lord's Prayer. I know we use you know, our Father who art in heaven, He's teaching us to pray. This is an insight into Him praying to the Father right before He's about to be arrested. He said, I glorified you on the earth, and I finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, Father, 
Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So as we learned last time, he set aside this glory that he had as the second person of the Godhead. Now he is personally, as he's facing the cross, he's asking that the Father would restore back to him all the glory that he had before. So his eyes are on this glory, this magnificence that is his. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter uh, 1 verse 3 that he is the outshining of the Father's glory. He's not the source of the glory, but the glory comes out of it. He doesn't reflect. The, the moon reflects the light of the sun. It has no light in and of itself. That's why there's a dark side to it, which we see every, every month. When we have, it looks like there's no moon up there. We're just looking at the other side of the moon that doesn't reflect the sun. But the word outshining means it's absorbed it and then radiates it. Some of you are old enough to remember when we had watches that were not electric. You had to wind them, remember? You had to actually wind them. That's what that little thing on the side is for. You wind a watch, okay? But they had these... That, that, so at nighttime, the numbers would, would glow. And they would use a special paint. And what that would do was it would absorb the, the light from the day. It would hold it for a while. And then when the light disappeared, it would begin to radiate it back out again. And then it would not usually last very long, but it would... So that's what this word means. This word, we, he's absorbed the very essence of who the Father is, and he radiates it from his being. And he's asking, restore that to me. Restore that glory that I had. You can, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go now down to John 14. Or go back to John 14. 1428. You've heard it said, I'm going away and coming back to you. Listen to the, listen to the personal part of this. This is Jesus personally. T- See, we sometimes forget he was a person. He had emotions. He cared for these men and, and he's being about to be left alone. He said, you've heard it said to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I am going to my Father who is greater than I am. So he was being restored to the physical presence of his Father. And he's about to go through a separation. You and I cannot imagine what it was like for him to come and take on flesh and walk among us and have to relate to his Father through human flesh. You and I don't know any difference because that's all we've ever known. He knew what it was like to be physically present with the glory of God. And, and he's been away from that for 33 and a half years. And his heart's longing to be restored to that again. See, but he, he, he remembers that in his spirit, not his mind, but his spirit remembers that. He's longing to have something restored. Now here's the challenge we've had. We've never experienced that. We can't see what he saw. We may have, some of you may have had glimpses of it. And that's our challenge. We're going to talk about it in a minute. So he saw that coming. He was anticipating returning to the Father. So how do we do this? It starts by understanding that there's something there that we don't see. I've got to say that again because it, this is so important. You won't look for something if you don't know it's not there. So if you think what you've got right now in your relationship with God is all there is, 
you'll stop growing. You'll just level off and become content with where you are. But if you become aware that there's something more, there's something better, and it's not even so much you know with your mind, it's, yeah, thank you, Lord. You ever, uh, uh, it's happened sometimes in here. You've been in, in, in somebody's house, or it happened the other day when it was on Thanksgiving. I was out walking Molly, and I'm, I'm beginning to smell things in the air. There's, 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 uh, there's, there's food being cooked somewhere, you know. I've had it happen in here. I've been trying to preach, and they're preparing something next door, and I was going, I'm, I feel led over on this side a little more. That, that odor, that, that fragrance, that fla- flavor in the air, you can't see the food. I couldn't see what it was, but I could tell it was a turkey of some kind. You know, and I, it was a Thanksgiving dinner. I could smell out, and it kind of wet my appetite. My, my saliva began to flow. All right, I wasn't seeing anything, but something begins. My imagination begins to run, and if I don't have that anticipation, then an expectation, I won't look for it. I won't pursue it, and the Holy Spirit has to give you that fragrance, the fragrance of Christ. Here's a wonderful scene group here called that. Fragrance. Fragrance. You won't, you won't get ready. You won't search for it. So we need, to, we need to know that there's something out there that we haven't seen. I remember when I was a kid, one of the first times I ever flew in an airplane, it was, it was a rainy day, and I'm probably 10 years old, 12 years old. They did have airplanes when I was 10 years old. <laughs> you sat in them like this, you know. <clears throat> and, and it was pouring rain. And uh, we took off. And at some point, so in my mind, it's a rainy day. The sun's not out, so it's somewhere else, all right? But I'll never forget, we got above the clouds. And my eyes, these little eyes of my go. It was brilliant up there on the same day in the same place where I'd just been soaking wet in rain and it was overcast and it was miserable and I got above the clouds and the sun's out and it's glorious. Well, once I know that, on a rainy day, I don't walk around thinking, oh, what happened to the sun? My goodness, there's no sun out. Where? I know it's out. I may not be experiencing it, but I now know it's there. So to look through the cross... To look for the joy that's on the other side of the cross, we have to be, it begins by beginning to realize there's something on the other side of this that motivated all these people to do what they did that I may not see yet. Or maybe I've had a glimpse, but there's more of it, so I will not be satisfied with where I am. I remember the first time, anybody ever see The Wizard of Oz? Oh, it's okay to say, you, you know, you've seen The Wizard of Oz. And you can be a Christian have seen The Wizard of Oz. I saw it when I was a kid before I was safe, so that's okay. <clears throat> Scared me, my goodness. But I'll never forget, you know, it starts in Kansas, and it's black and white, you know, and it's drab, and it's just this tornado comes up, and she wakes up in Oz, and all of a sudden it goes from this black and white to this brilliant, dazzling color. 
There's something on the other side of the cross. Our lives right now, on this side, until we begin to see the other, it's drab. It's like, it's like Kansas. It is. In the flesh, with the way we live our lives, it's like Kansas. It's like black and white. But on the other side of the cross, I'm talking while you're living here, there's a glorious place in Christ. There's a glorious walk with Him that is like waking up in Oz. And it's brilliant, it's glorious, and that can be in you right now today. So don't settle for Kansas. Don't settle for the black and white. When there's a glorious kingdom that God has to show us right here, right now. Here's the problem. Whereas the athlete can visualize the medal, it's hard for us to visualize what this is on the other side of the cross. So how do we know it's there? How can we get a glimpse of what's there? Our flesh, and especially the love of self, dulls us. We're going to have a time at the beginning of the year it's going to be long, a longer season, it's, but, but it's something we can do, of prayer and fasting to begin the year. And one of the reasons is to break through the dullness of our flesh and of our lethargy and of our laziness and, and, and break that stuff off of us so that what's in you right now... See, what I'm talking about, Oz is in you right now. Not Dr. Oz but that glorious light, that glory of God is on the inside of you. Second Corinthians talks about this. But we have this glory in earthen vessels. It's in you right now. And what separates your experience of, from this Kansas dull black and white world to the, from the glory that's on the inside of you is self and flesh. Don't get uptight about the fast. It's something you can do. It's not a total fast. But we're going to have a concentrated time uh, together as a church of seeking God to begin the year for God, what God wants to do here and what He wants to do in our lives. So it's this flesh that gets in our way. We can only see this by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 4, 18 tells us, For we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So we have to have our focus, that's our inner eyes, have got to be on the unseen world, which is the spirit realm. We can't get a glimpse, and we can also get a glimpse of this. There are others that are walking in this. There are others who have seen this, who have gone through their cross and gone to the other side. I'm not talking in heaven, I mean in this earth. And they're walking in this. Reinhard Bonnke was an example of that. That's why I was just researching him the other day. We saw a few weeks ago a video of Todd White on the streets of... of, uh, If you've ever heard him speak, Jesus explodes out of him. He says, I get up in the morning and Jesus is right there. I can't wait to get up in the morning and just go, oh, what what God has, what Jesus has for me to do. How many of you wake up that way? Probably not most of us. Yeah, yeah. And you wake up early too. (laughs) He knows something. He's seen something. He knows Jesus in a way that most of us don't know. So we can, we can draw from Him that encouragement. All right, He's seen something I haven't seen. It's there. I just, it, the issue is me, not whether it's real or not. Amen. 
Let's look quickly at the Apostle Paul. He's a great example. I'm just going to tell the story in Acts. Don't put the scriptures up. Paul was a, was a, was a Pharisee. He was, he was uh, passionate about destroying the church because he believed with all his heart and all his sincerity that it was a blaspheming heresy. And he was on his way with letters from the high, from the high priest authority to arrest every Jewish Christian in Damascus and bring them in chains to, to, to Jerusalem to be tried as heretics and most likely stoned. And on the way, you know the story, while he was on his horse at midday, which was, means it's bright already, this far surpassing burst of light appeared to him, so much so it knocked him off his horse. It's got to be pretty bright in Israel at noon to be a light that blocks, knocks you off your horse. And a voice spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And his answer is, who are you, Lord? Paul had a personal encounter, listen to this, with the Christ on the other side of the cross. He had a personal encounter. He knew historically that Jesus had been crucified, but now he was having a personal encounter with this Jesus who was now raised from the dead. He was not in that tomb. The other side of the cross was resurrection life. And he was in coming in contact with him, and it changed him instantly and forever. His life turned around 180 degrees. And with all the passion he had to destroy the church, he now has that same passion to preach Christ at no matter what it costs. Philippians 3 gives us a little insight into this. Oh, Lord. We've got to move along. Philippians 3 gives you Paul's exchange. We talked earlier about an exchange Paul made. Verse 7. What things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I count all things loss. For the New King James says, the excellent, value, excellent knowledge of Christ Jesus. The, 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 it's better rendered for the surpassing value. Remember we talked about a bargain and getting gypped? We talked about the exchange. This is Paul's exchange. He said, I took everything in my life, everything that meant anything to me, everything I got my value from, everything I built, built my life around, everything I counted as loss. Why? Because I found something that was so far surpassing in value to me, he goes on to say, I consider it as if it were dung. That's literally what the word means. And count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, a righteousness which comes from God by faith. Keep moving along. That we may know him. So Paul's saying, I did this that I may know him. Not just follow a principle, not just follow an ideal, not just follow... But I may know the one I'm following. And that word know in Greek means a deep, intimate, personal relationship with. And the power of his resurrection... We want power in our life. We want the power of God flowing through us. But that resurrection power is the other side of the cross. That's part of the joy that's set before Him. 
We're not going to experience that power in our life when we're holding on to ourselves and holding on to the things in our life that He's telling us to lay down. And the sharing of His sufferings to be conformed to His death. That's death to self. Verse 12. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You can be resurrected from the dead sitting in your chair right now. You can. Because there's deadness in our lives. There's resurrection life. There's resurrection power. If the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, not will get you, dwells in you now, He will quicken your mortal body. Healing does not come down from heaven out of God. Healing comes up out of you. The healer lives in you. The healing power that was in Christ lives in you. What stops it is our unbelief. What stops it is our flesh. What stops it is our mind looking at myself and how things affect me. I'm not willing to pay the price. But on the other side of that price, there's joy. There's freedom. There's victory. There's authority. There's the life of God coming out of you. Verse 13. Brethren, this is Paul writing, and I don't count myself as having apprehended it yet. I'm, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which lie behind and reaching for those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. We'll end here with that. What Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. I have daily battles. But I forget what happened before, the good and the bad. And I'm pressing on every day towards this call. I'm pressing on towards this prize. So Paul encourages us here by saying, I'm not there yet either. So don't get discouraged when you have a day where you slipped or flipped. (laughs) But press on. Don't quit. Make a resolve that no matter what happens... I'm going to press on towards that goal. I am going to follow Him. Whatever it costs, I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to follow Him. And what you'll find... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, yes. Let's go down to um, verse 15. Oh, okay. Therefore, let us... Talking to them, all of us now. As many as are mature, have this mind, have this mindset... And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Okay. I'm getting ahead of... All right, okay. Oh, Lord. Ephesians 3, verse 8. So what is this prize? What is this prize? 3, verse 8. That's the old version I sent you. It was 2. It's 3, verse 8. To me, this is Paul again, who is the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles, this is what it was, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The one you're following, the one who's given himself to you, contains unsearchable riches. Riches of wisdom. Riches of joy. 
Riches that can solve and only He can solve. The deep inner longings and needs, the loneliness, the hurt, the pain, only He can fill up those holes in your life. Only He can make you whole with unsearchable riches, not just to bring you to the place of wholeness, but infinitely beyond. It's the kingdom of heaven within you. The kingdom of heaven's not up there, it's in you. Unsearchable riches that are in Christ. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, 44. I'll get it. Two little simple parables. Here we go. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Notice he finds a treasure in the field, and notice what he does. He hides it. Right? He says, but I, I, don't, I can't have that because it's part of the field. So he goes and says everything he has and sells it so he's got enough money to buy the field because the treasure's than in that field. He's found something in that dirt that's worth more to him than everything he has. He's willing to sell it so he can find that treasure. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Same principle. He's a pearl merchant. He's used to pearls. He probably has many pearls. But he now found one that is so infinitely more valuable than all the other pearls he has. He sells all of the others so he can have this one pearl of great price. Now let's look at what they have in common. As with Paul there is no evidence that they grieved over what it cost when they got the treasure or they got the pearl. Paul never looked back on what it cost him because his eyes were on the prize. There's no evidence that the man who sold everything so he could buy the land to get the pearl of great price ever looked at that, uh, the, 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 the treasure in the field, ever looked back and said, I really wish I still had those my 52 inch TV I'm not messing with anybody I still wish I had I still wish I had I still wish I had oh he sees Is the, he, he knew what he was doing when he gave it all up because he had a glimpse of this he had a glimpse and he had to have it and the pearl merchant he already had pearls He bought and sold them all the time. But this one pearl was so precious, so valuable, he would trade them all for that. And there's no evidence he ever looked back and said, I kind of wish I still had. No! No. And I suggest to you this morning that the pearl we're offered in Christ in following Him the adventure that He has for you, the joy that He has for you, 
the life that he has for you is infinitely more valuable than anything it might cost us. He never will look back. Never will look back. And there's one last thing that you get from that. In the Bible, there are several examples of people that have paid a price to follow him. John chapter 9, one of my favorite stories, is a man who was born blind and, and Jesus heals him. And then Jesus leaves the scene and the man ends up in the, in the synagogue and, and there's a big controversy over who did this. And so they, they bring the, the man in and they said, he said, I don't know. And so they bring his parents in because now they wait, but this, this man was born blind. He couldn't have been born blind. So they bring the parents in. Was he really born blind? Yeah, he was born blind. Well, who did? We don't know. So they bring the man back in. And they said, they examined him again. He said, he said, he said, look, all I know is this. All I know is what I know. I was blind and now I see. Now it sounds to me like you want to be one of his followers also. And they got mad at him. And listen to me. He stood up for Christ and they threw him out of the synagogue. Guess who was waiting for him outside the synagogue door? Jesus was outside the synagogue door. And now Jesus says, do you know who it is that healed you? He says, no. He said, he said it is I, the Messiah. He personally came and met this man where he was. After he stood up for Christ publicly, it cost him his reputation. It cost him his standing in the synagogue. It cost him his ability to beg. And now Christ came to meet him where he was. And I think of the three Hebrew children. They're forced to make a decision before Nebuchadnezzar. Either you bow to this idol or you're going to burn. And they say, whatever you do with us, our God will deliver us, but even if He doesn't, we're still not going to bow our knees to an idol. So they're thrown in the fiery furnace. And it's so hot that the men that threw them in died from the heat. And they're in there walking around. The only thing the fire did to them was burn off what was holding them bound up. And then Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says, wait a minute, how many do we throw in? We threw three in, sir. I thought so. Well, there's a fourth man in there. And he has the appearance of the Son of God. Jesus showed up in that furnace because they paid the price to follow him. On the other side of the cross is Jesus in a personal living way like you'll never know him if you try to hold on to your life. And the last thing I want to share with you is we've been given a helper to do this. Philippians chapter 2. That's what I thought I was doing before. Philippians chapter 2. says we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not, it's not how you get saved. It's how you walk it out. Why? Verse 13, what I wanted to get to. For it is God who works in you. God's at work in you right now. Both the will to follow Him and to do it. To will and to do for His good pleasure. I want to pray for us. Father, we come to you and I trust that your spirit now is working 
in all of us that which you've been working in me. Human words cannot possibly do it, but it's only your spirit. And I pray, Father, for each one of us this morning what Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would see the hope of your calling for us that's in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you are at work in us, both to will and to do your good pleasure, and that you're working in each one of us. And Father, as we come together and we begin to learn more as we, this next year, of what it means to follow you and how we apply that in our lives, we thank you that the one who enables us to do that is living in us. We thank you that the kingdom of God is in us already, that your spirit is in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. And I pray, Father, for this week that's ahead, that in the challenges that may come across our path, in the people that may come across our path, that the precious Holy Spirit will bring back to us the inspiration that He's given to us this morning. Father, I believe that everyone here, somewhere down inside, wants to go forward and follow Christ wherever that may be. But we're often afraid that we can't do it. We're often afraid that we won't pay the price. We're often afraid because we get our eyes on the cost. Help our eyes to see who it is we're following. As you made yourself real to Paul, and you've made yourself real to so many others, may the Spirit of God make you more real to us, especially in this Christmas season. Use the things of Christmas. Use the times of Christmas, the celebrations of Christmas, the music of Christmas, the decorations of Christmas. Use those to speak to us, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you are faithful to do what we've asked you to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we end the service...